check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today, it's back to the midweek show, the big show, where we have all of our different segments, all of our different guests, starting with news, of course. But right after that, we're going to be doing a Monday Night Football recap with Kyron Samuels. We're going to be talking about college football with Max Chadwick from PFF. We have, at the end of the show, a preview for Thursday Night Football, and that's going to be featuring Gavino Borquez from Chargers Wire and Charles Goldman of Chiefs Wire. So we have a divisional matchup, guys from the Wire Network both coming on to talk about their prospective teams. And of course, we also will be doing injuries with Kyle Trimble, Doctor of Physical Therapy, and Fantasy with Matthew Brown. I told you, it's loaded. So much to go over. But first and foremost, I have Julius Lux with me to bring you all of the news from around the league. How are you doing tonight, Julius? All is well. Can I complain on my end? How about you? How's everything? Everything's great, man. Everything's great. It was an excellent weekend of NFL football. I'm looking forward to Thursday Night Football already. That's the beautiful mm-hmm. thing about in-season. We get just enough time to decompress from like five screens of football in our face for six hours, breathe it out, mm-hmm. and then it's already back again. It's perfect. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> How are you enjoying New York? Uh, New York can't complain again. Um, starting to get a nice little rhythm, getting to the gym every morning, get, making some time between classes, work, just researching stuff, kind of getting settled here. Still looking for a job, though, another one over here just to, you know, add a little resume booster. That's a little difficult. But other than that, I'm, everything's nice up here so far. Well, let's take our minds off of the rest of the world and talk a little football. What do you have for us today? It be, it be. Well, I did lie to you when I'm before getting to this first piece of news because I am a Dallas Cowboys <laughs> fan, and um, as obvious, uh, Sunday night was not so pleasing. So we all know Dak Prescott injured his throwing thumb, and the Dallas Cowboys believe they can get him back in four weeks. He originally was ruled out six to eight weeks because he received surgery on Monday. And the Cowboys are not placing him on the IR, so it is believed that they could possibly get him in four weeks instead of the six to eight, which I don't see how that's going to happen, but it's it's professional football. It's, it's people working on it, professional people. So what do you think about this one? Well, peek behind the curtain, we're recording this news uh, segment after I recorded the segment with Kyle. So I have a little bit of insight into what he thinks. I'm not going to delve too deeply into it because that's coming right up. But the one reason I left it in here is because there's a little bit more clarity of the expectation of him to be back in four weeks versus six to eight. Now, I don't know if that's realistic either. I mean, we talked about it, but I just wanted to include that here because it sounds from the organization like they do have that expectation. And maybe it's more of a hope than an expectation, but obviously their season kind of hinges on whether he can play for the majority of the season or not. So that's all I got for you now, but hang tight until a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, that was obviously just the ugly being added to the bad from Sunday. (laughs) so it is painful and of course you know adding more to some unfortunate Cowboys news 
to this new segment. There are two other key injuries that Dallas suffered Sunday night. In the first drive, Connor McGovern went down, and it is revealed he has a high ankle sprain. And then big-time safety for the team, J. Ron Curse sprained his MCL, so both are going to miss multiple weeks. And both of these are key losses because one is a an absolute clutch factor on the defense. Defensive leader played a really big role last year to their over-exceeding expectations on the defensive side. And the other is a offensive line loss to a very slim depth chart. So it's very it's two big losses for Dallas as well. Yeah, when this happened in the game, I was I was kind of shaking my head because it's like the last thing they need is a starting offensive lineman to go down. But, you know, it didn't seem like they were doing much before that anyway, to be perfectly honest. And hopefully by the time the high ankle sprain is healed up, Dak Prescott is back. I guess there's the silver lining there because maybe yeah. it doesn't matter until that happens anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I just got to see how things play out as a Cowboys fan. Not really expecting, you know, too much this season. Hopefully, somehow, someway, Cooper Rush leads a miracle and keeps us in the NFC East. But we'll change topics and make this less sad for myself. Um, <laughs> Colts, Colts cut kicker Rodrigo Blankenship after just one game into the season. So Indianapolis will sign two kickers to their practice squad, and it'll basically be a, a tryout going into their Week 2 game. This happened after he missed a huge tie-breaking kick in their opening game against the Texans. Yeah, man, that, it was a pretty poor performance from him. To come out of that game with a tie is brutal. In a weak AFC South, they are still tied for first place, I believe. Because I don't think anybody from that division won. Nope, Jaguars lost. Nobody did. Tennessee lost. <laughs> and they tied within their division. So, to be fair, it could be worse coming out of week one with a tie. It could be worse than that. But... Still, they need something a little bit more reliable there. And it just, it, it was one of those kicking performances where it just seemed to get worse with every single kick and the head hung lower and lower. And you just, you have to have a kicker with confidence or else you're just dooming yourself to a season full of missed kicks. Yeah, absolutely. And it was quite the kicking performance as we saw all around the league, whether it was clutch or kind of ripping your hair out. Yeah. <laughs> all right, moving on. Cleveland reveals they will have Brownie the Elf as their midfield logo for the 2022 home opener. This will be the first time he's making an appearance since 2016. Wow, you know, this is breaking news. Very important to a <laughs> lot of people around the NFL. It's important to me only in that I have to stare at Brownie the Elf while the Jets might get beaten by a Jacoby <laughs> Brissett-led Cleveland Browns, which... That's exactly you know. why I put this in here for you. <laughs> <laughs> It's just going to be laughing at me watching that game. I might, uh, man, you know, I. this is my first week back trying to catch as many games as possible ready for recaps. And I have never done like a, a Sunday night show recapping games to be released Monday morning before. I don't even know if I can watch the Jets live, to be perfectly honest. I almost, I'm, I might have to just save them for a late night sad fest after I watch all of the football games that we actually talk about. But then, you know, it's one of those things. If the Jets do win, then anyway, nobody needs to hear my lamenting. But yeah, Brownie the I Elf. I, I think I did be... enough of that earlier, so <laughs> you're totally okay. Yeah, exactly. 
just talking about the sad Cowboys and the sad Jets fans in the room. But yeah, Brown of the Elf's going to be hanging out with me this Sunday. That's all I can say. Absolutely. And you should have seen my class today because my te- my professor's a Jets fan. So he too was kind of oh. wrecking them. Yeah, we had an assignment. We had a, like, write a, like a sports rundown and it was on the Jets game. And I was just sitting there like just uh, missed drop passes, fumbles, stuff like that. It was just like I felt so bad. If I was a professor in, in a sports media class of any kind, I would absolutely make everybody sit through the misery of Jets all season long. <laughs> Every assignment would be about the Jets. It would be under the cover of familiarizing yourself with a team like a beat writer, but really... You just have to be as miserable as I am. Literally, it was full of giant surprises for them winning and a un like a totally unexpected loss for the Jets to a playoff <laughs> team. But <Yeah. laughs> moving on, moving on for you. TJ Watt's pectoral injury remains unclear in terms of his time off, so he will obviously miss Week Two's game against the Patriots. But they're confident. The Pittsburgh Steelers are confident that this is not a season-ending injury, and he isn't expected to get surgery, which I found very shocking, especially the way he left the game. I don't know if you saw, but it looked like he was in a lot of pain, pointing to the area. It did look it didn't look too thrilling, and apparently this could not be the end. Yeah, this is another one we do talk about in our injury segment, but again, key point here that's something we didn't, we weren't quite sure of is that he's absolutely not getting surgery at this point. So that clarifies some of the either or that we were talking about in that segment. So stay tuned for that as well. Absolutely. So Steeler Nation, um, be ready for when he returns. 49ers running back Elijah Mitchell is expected to miss at least eight weeks with an MCL sprain. And he as well will not receive surgery. Yeah. Fortunate to, to only be a sprain. At least eight weeks is pretty far through the season. So hopefully they're looking all right. I mean, as far as that team goes... I, I really need to sit down and watch that game because that was one where it was it was just a total slop fest, right? We kind of commented that on uh, we commented on it briefly on Sunday night for the Monday morning show, but there's probably not a lot to take away. But I really want to dive in and see because I'm I'm super hesitant about what Trey Lance has looked like so far, and you would think as a running quarterback probably would have even helped him a little bit those conditions right because it would have been harder to tackle him so it's a little disappointing that they come away with the loss I think not having Mitchell is a big deal for them he's kind of clearly the number one running back on that roster so you know it's something to monitor but we won't be seeing him for a while at least yeah I was about to say definitely the conditions ruined the possible you know high expectations for what Trey Lance is going to bring especially keeping Jimmy Garoppolo but we did also mention in our last episode where we did mention the four were keeping Garoppolo that it could be a bad sign. The team isn't confident in Trey Lance. And obviously I feel like better conditions, a more playable atmosphere will determine that moving forward. So I feel like, again, like we have to see a few games and see what he's, you know, what he brings to the table. But other than that, yeah, it was, it was a rough, you know, first start for him. All right, that's going to do it for news for us today, Julius. I appreciate you, as always, coming on to chop it up and talk about what's going on around the NFL. I think at this point, we are likely to kind of cover some injuries as the season goes on. Contracts, they kind of tone down. We might have a few trades here and there, but they kind of tone down. So unless anybody's getting arrested or talking some major trash in the media, you know, 
it's probably going to be injury season for the news segment. Although I guess we could comment on Russell Wilson going back and uh, <laughs> and uh, getting unexpected. beat by his former team. I don't unexpected. know, man. The booze, the booze wise, like how and Geno Smith came to play. What can I say? That would, I know that <laughs> makes probably pains you as a Jets fan to see that. Like, uh, where was that? But if I'm still worried about Geno Smith, man, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm barking up the wrong tree. It's been too many years since he was even. On I the met team. I met him a while back. I think going into my freshman year of high school, just a small quick story for you. It was it was during training camp. Like it was during that time, but we were in Miami for a family reunion. And this guy flew to Miami for what was a party. It was like a, a rapper had a re- release party. So happened to at the hotel we were staying by. Sure enough, Geno Smith shows up. That's the same year where he got punched in the mouth. <laughs> twenty fifteen. If you remember, maybe. yep, that was twenty fifteen. <laughs> that was a that was. What do you mean? I'm if telling I you. Remember. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say you definitely remember, but that was literally the week before it happened wow. when I met him. So funny. So what? I mean, you know, maybe I shouldn't ask. I don't know if you need to call anybody out after a big, a big night for him, a big win. But was he a nice guy? You know, was he was he cool oh, or did you just like? No, he was awesome. I didn't want to get into the too much details, but I'll just briefly say he was definitely not sober, and he was hanging out with me <laughs> the whole time. Like he was following me and my cousins around. So if that tells you how out of like, how out of like kind of he was in the moment <laughs> Dude, it was really fun like it was cool he was great but you could definitely tell he was uh not in Three the sheets. state of mind <laughs> yeah. i got you that's funny that is a funny story nice. oh, it's all right all right i guess that's a great way to wrap it up so julius let everybody know where they can find you <laughs> you can find me on twitter got juice 44 that's on twitter got juice 44 you can find me on gridiron heroics just check out my articles just wrecked the Dallas Cowboys a little bit in my recent one. Um, <laughs> had to put that out there as well as Facebook Julius Lux. Yeah. DM him for the the details on the Geno Smith story. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Got you 44. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you this Friday. Take care. Have a good one. Alrighty, for the first Monday night football game of the year, it turned out to be quite the game, and I have quite the guest to help me recap it. Kyron Samuels, ex-D1 offensive lineman, and of course, Arena Football League offensive lineman as well. How you doing, my friend? Doing well, man. Glad to be back. Glad uh, Monday night football's back. It wasn't the same without it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It was, uh, it was a game with storylines abound and it lived up to the billing down to a last minute missed field goal to win the game seattle walks away on top and they get bragging rights over russell wilson who spurned them to go to the denver broncos man what a game i mean i guess i'll just throw it right to you what what was your favorite part about this game what was your your big takeaway that you just had to talk to everybody about so it's twofold uh, there's one part where I'm going to hype up coaches and there's one part where I'm going to tear the coaches down. So I was very, <laughs> very excited to see, and this is from both teams on the first three drives, there was eight tight end targets. Like I- I'm so excited to see 12 and 13 personnel coming back more heavy because everybody's going too high. Now they're not letting you just beat them throwing the ball. Everybody's trying to take away 
the passing game and the deep passing game. They're sitting in too high, and we are finally getting 12 and 13 personnel again, which if you don't know what that means, that means one running back, two tight ends, or one running back, three tight ends. So we're getting more condensed stuff, and, and people are taking the underneath because teams are trying to take the advantage of blowing the top off defenses now. So mm-hmm. I was very excited to see that in the first three drives of the game, we got eight tight end targets. And I, I mean, they completed six balls to tight ends. I don't remember exactly how many. I think it was six, but it was just beautiful to see that. And I think it was a great opportunity for the Seahawks to like show that that culture isn't dead. I know a lot of people have been saying, you know, it might be time for Pete Carroll to pack it up. And I've been one of those people. I'm not going to lie. But that is a good Denver Broncos football team. Regardless of what people want to say, that was a very good team. And they showed why that Seahawks culture of the 12s being in Seattle, playing on the road, why that is still a tough and dangerous situation for any team to go into. Oh, yeah. So I was uh, very excited. You know, just the atmosphere, like you said, it's just good to have Monday Night Football back and storylines and Russ coming back to his former team. And I think people were too harsh on Russ, Russ uh, last night. I think he played very well. I mean, you look at the stat line. He goes 29 for 42, 340 yards, a touchdown, didn't turn the ball over, uh, had a one-on-one passer rating. And I'm not like a huge uh, just pure stats and analytics guy. But when you when you put those numbers up, he played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not Russ's fault that his coach won't call a timeout when the play clock's <laughs> getting towards zero. You know, like the two times they fumbled going in was late snaps. The ball's coming out with one second or right at zero seconds and everybody's in disarray everybody's confused and some of that blame should be placed on russ because he gets paid 165 million dollars guarantee he can call a damn timeout if he wants but (laughs) that is the coach's job to be locked in and paid attention to that i've watched uh, andy Reid and eric Bieniemy do it with patrick mahomes i've watched byron leftwich and uh Bruce Arians do it with Tom Brady. When the play calls are getting down and a quarterback's making checks at the line, he's getting locked in. He's getting people lined up. He's not necessarily always looking at the play clock, even if he should. But that's why the coach get paid $100 million or however many millions of dollars these coaches are getting paid now. So I was very disappointed in the coaching from that aspect. Take care of your guys. You're on the one-yard line. Call a timeout. Get a good play. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he only used one timeout. You wasted five timeouts when there was, I don't know how many situations where a timeout could have helped you adjust, help get people under control. You're playing on the road in one of the most hostile environments in football. Help your guys out. I was very disappointed with that. And I don't want to spend too much time on the Broncos, but I think the Broncos storylines are just so much more evident when I look at it. You look at the box score, the guys, I mean, come on, they outgain the Seahawks by almost 200 yards, 433 to 253. Um, they had more yards per play. They, I mean, just everything. When you look at it, they went 0 for 4 in the red zone. That's unacceptable. You can't do that. Like, one thing I do want to highlight from the Seahawks, though, is that the interior D line, especially in the red zone, you know, as much as we can say that, oh, the Broncos should have did this, should have did that, those guys stepped up when it mattered, and they got the job done. They created two turnovers, which was the difference in the game. And I also want to give a shout out to Geno Smith. I mean, talk about a guy who's on his third or fourth chance. I mean, you don't see quarterbacks get this many chances to get it right. And he finally got it right. I mean, 23 of 28, 195 yards, two touchdowns, 119 passer rating. Um, I think he, I thought he did a great job of 
using his athleticism, you don't really see him as a mobile quarterback, but they had a couple of design runs for him. He broke out of the pocket a couple of times to extend plays, uh, specifically that first touchdown. He uh, avoided a sack, you know, had a free hitter off, uh, up the middle off a of blitz, and he avoided him, stepped up and kind of threw a jump pass to Disley for a touchdown. I mean, those are the things that a player on maybe his last opportunity have to do to stick. And I think Geno Smith did a great job of taking the advantage of what could be his last opportunity to prove um, he's a viable starter in this league. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, his athleticism stood out. There, there was no doubt about that. I mean, the first touchdown pass that he threw, I think it was Homer, Travis Homer, the running back stepped up and got just rocked by the blitzing linebacker <laughs> right up the A-gap. And Geno Smith shrugged it off. It wasn't a big hit on him, but he did a really nice job. Stepped up to the line and linebackers bit. And then he just... Flick the ball up over. It was not necessarily the easiest catch, but Will Disley came down with it. Nice adjustment. And then he was just wide open for the walk-in touchdown. And I mean, Geno Smith maybe wasn't doing quite that all game, but it was it was clearly on display, including that awful decision he made rolling left and lobbing the ball up back across to the right side of the field. Fortunately for him, it was a defensive pass interference and it right. worked out in his favor. But Good athleticism, awful, awful decision. I mean, we could be talking about a very different game if that's a pick six, which it very well could have been. So, correct. I mean, I I agree with you, but yeah. And conversely, uh, Jamal Adams, before he went out and let a couple balls hit him in the helmet, like we could be talking about (laughs) Russ having a two interception game as well. And the one to Quandre Diggs in the the end zone, Russ could have thrown three picks as good as he played. I mean, like I said, he, he was 29 of 42 for 340 yards. He could have easily three interceptions. You know, um, like you said, Gino. Gino could have had a couple interceptions. Those are the differences as far as defense, your defense goes is winning and losing ball games. Like you said, that could have been a pick six to end the game. But, like, I want to get to the very end of the game. We have to address this. I don't sure. care if it's his first game or if it's week one. That was borderline fireable to me. Like, you don't <laughs> let – you pay this guy. You guaranteed him $165 million. You don't kick a 64-yard field goal. I mean, I hate the analytics crowd. You know, everybody is just taking over the game. But I'm with them on this one. The numbers say you have a much higher chance of success of converting a fourth and five than kicking a 64-yard field goal. You want him to make a record field goal, an NFL record, to, to win the game, like, that's just an impossible ask from your kicker. Not only the decision to kick the field goal, but to let the clock bleed down from a minute and 10 seconds to 30 seconds. It's just mind-blowing. I don't understand, as an NFL head coach, how you let that happen. You have three timeouts. It, it, it would be different if he only had one timeout and he was kind of, you know, going back and forth. Well, if we're going to get the first down, we might need to save that timeout to kind of have some more versatility and calling our plays. But he had three timeouts. Call a timeout, get in the best situation. Russ was doing fairly well getting the ball to his outlets at the tight end position. Draw up something, get these guys going vertical, and, and you've been you've had success all night hitting the underneath stuff, hitting the flats, hitting the, the quick crossers, run mesh. There's a million things you can run in the middle of the field with anything at your disposal because it is the actual play of the game. So whatever you need to do in that situation is at your disposal. You have three timeouts and you're in the middle of the field. The playbook's endless right there. 
the the decision is somewhat on Russ too. I, I don't think he's without blame here because, like I said earlier, you get paid one hundred sixty five million dollars guaranteed as well. Call a timeout. This is I don't know what year this is for us, but you've been to two Super Bowls, you've won one, you have eight Pro Bowls, you have an All Pro. There's no excuse for you to sit there and let that clock run down as well. So I think he deserves maybe let's give him 30% of the blame, but 70% of that is on your head coach. He is the guy. Nobody's going to care about Russell Wilson losing this game. His career is already stamped and solidified. He's already proved he's one of the best to ever do it. But for Hackett as a head coach in your debut, I mean, that is inexcusable. It's just one of the worst displays I've ever seen. And I don't want to, you know, gas it too much and, and just harp on it, but did you see the Peyton Manning clip where Peyton Manning is like having an aneurysm because he's like, call time out, call time. <laughs> Shannon Sharp's like, you know, he played for the Broncos. He's still a huge Broncos guy. He's like, what are we? He's having a, a heart attack. Eli Manning is just looking dumbfounded because he just doesn't know what's going on. Like, it was so yeah. bad. I just can't harp on it enough. But moving forward, I think that the heat is now on Russ and the Broncos. I mean, it's a, a, just another level. It was already up because. Every game in the AFC West is important. Every game in the uh, division is magnified. Um, now, is it impossible? Is it crazy to say he's on the hot seat already after that performance? After going into Seattle where you were supposedly going to dominate them, everybody thought that they were going to go in there and beat the crap out of Seattle and, and kind of, you know, put the division on notice. But it's hard to say. I don't think he's on the hot seat quite yet, but – that was the worst start to a professional coach career that you could have with the expectation that is placed on you. It, it's a tough out. It really is to go to that stadium and play when that stadium is particularly fired up. I mean, they were, they had, they had some fight in them, you know, uh, the fans <laughs> did the, the 12th man with, with Russ coming back. So I have no doubt that there was some communication issues on the sideline for them as well. You know, probably they were struggling to hear each other, even through the headsets, but, but I mean, we're going to basically, wrap it up here just want to throw out a few more or less stock up stock down guys and, and and a couple of key takeaways uh how about andrew beck the fullback for the broncos playing very very physical that was fun to watch him you know get a get a couple of plays there as a lead blocker and uh, at a receiver as well mm-hmm. jordan brooks played well that's nothing new i mean he played pretty well last year but he looked good in this game uh, and jerry judy i liked it i we'll see about the the season-long rapport with Russ Wilson, but I thought he played well. He looked good. He looked explosive. That DK Metcalf pass or 10 battle was a good one, though. That was that was fun oh. to watch. They both got their licks in, but uh, pass or 10 didn't, didn't back down, played physically. Uh, I liked it, man. Yeah, 100%. I think Patrick Sertan is, it might be controversial to say, but I think he's already a top three cornerback in this league. And, you know, the guys on Twitter last night, Richard Sherman, uh, Darius Slay, a couple other, you know, high-profile guys were just amazed. They were tweeting about how he looks like a 10-year vet already. And mm-hmm. I think when you look at his skill set and his size, you know, we're not going to hop on it too long. But his ability at that size is just unrivaled at the cornerback position right now. And with Jalen Ramsey kind of, you know, some people think he's falling off. Some I'm not one of those people. I think he just had a bad night. You know, he's had a bad night before and come back and look like the guy we know him to be. But I think, man, you got to put Pat up there with the best right now. And I also want to give a shout-out to Shelby Harris on the Seahawks D-line. He, he played massive last night in pretty much mm-hmm. a statement game uh, against his old team. So I want to give him a shout-out as well. But 
like you said, man, just glad to have football back. Glad to be back on Monday nights. Yeah, dude. I called out Shelby Harris as a guy who I thought might have a nice game going up against them. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us tonight. We're going to have Kyron back every single Wednesday to recap Monday Night Football. Next week, we're going to get a double dose. So we're going to have an extra long segment talking about <laughs> both Monday Night Football games. But yeah, that's going to do it. Kyron, let everybody know where they can find you in the meantime. Um, you can find me at Kyron Samuels, K-Y-R-O-N-S-A-M-U-E-L-S on all social media. And I'm also going to be streaming live on the playback app soon. So uh, pretty much the same thing. You can follow me there at Kyron Samuels backslash get playback. And I'll be there streaming live for NFL and college games. And pretty much that's it, man. Glad to be back here and we'll be doing this every week. So you'll see a lot of us together. All right. We will see you next Wednesday. All right, I'm very excited to welcome back Max Chadwick from Pro Football Focus to talk a little bit about college football. We tried to get Reagan Harrison with us last week. The timing didn't work. This week, the technology doesn't work. At some point, he will be with us. But today, it's just Max and Max together again. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. It was a fun weekend of college football, so I'm excited to go over it with you. Ah, yeah. I'm glad for you to fill me in on everything that I missed. So as of right now, my wife absolutely hates my guts for what I do to her on Sundays. <laughs> I have two small kids, so I cannot justify doing that on Saturdays uh, right now. So I try I to pick you. up a I little mean, bit, have- but... <laughs> Yeah, you have kids, so I understand. My girlfriend, it's way less for me, obviously, because you have kids, but my girlfriend does not like me on the weekends either, in the fall either, so I completely understand that. <laughs> All right, so go ahead and fill me in. <laughs> what were the best games of this college football weekend? Man, this Alabama-Texas game um, was awesome. Like, I, I remember, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, and I was like, you know, Texas, the pieces on defense, they have it. I just don't think they do, even though the offense is really good. They went toe-to-toe with Alabama. Like, I was one of the biggest proponents of Texas before the season, and a lot of people scoffed at me when I said that um, because I said Texas might be back this year. And anytime you say that, like, alarms go up. People are like, all right, you know, chill out. They actually might be back. They lost by one point to Alabama. The top was the top team in the country. Now they're number two in the AP poll. Alabama needed a game-winning field goal with 10 seconds left to win that game. And – Texas's star quarterback, Quinn Ewers, got hurt in the first quarter of that game, and he was lighting them up. He had like a 90 PFF grade, um, and their backup quarterback had like a 60 PFF grade. So it's fair to say if Texas had Quinn Ewers the whole game, they would have won that game, and they would have you know put the entire nation on notice. Bryce Young had to be Superman in that game. That Texas defense was very impressive. Uh, probably the most undisciplined Nick Saban's ever had for an Alabama team. They had 15 penalties, which is the most he's ever had in one game as Alabama's head coach. So very undisciplined by Alabama, but you can't take away from t- what Texas did in that game. They were fantastic in that in that one. Yeah, well, look, if, if we get another week like that, I'm going to try and hop on that bandwagon real quick. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I'm right here. I actually wanted to go to this game, and earlier in the summer I thought I might be able to there was there was just no way. But I might be able to get to at least one game before the season is through. And I might just become uh, a, a wearer of the burnt orange by the time this year is over. So unfortunately, Ewer's got a significant shoulder injury. So he'll be out like four to six weeks is the timetable. 
So, you know, hopefully they can stay unscathed through the three games that he probably will miss. But they said he, he could return against number six Oklahoma they are now. So that could be massive if Quinn Ewers can be back for the Red River Showdown. Yeah, and how about them getting Arch Manning next year, looks like. So oh, turning the program yeah. around, baby. All right. I already care for some reason. So <laughs> <laughs> they are all, I, I'm I'm all in on Texas. Quinn Ewers might be the number one pick in twenty twenty four. Like it, him and Caleb Williams, it, it's it's gonna be fun. I'm I'm excited. Right on. All right. What else do you have for us? So there was uh, uh, the the Sun Belt was the fun belt this week. This was a phenomenal week for the Sun Belt Conference. There were like four, uh, there are four ranked teams that lost to unranked teams over the weekend. Two of them were in the top ten, and both those teams in the top ten lost to Sun Belt teams. Uh, number six Notre Dame or number six Texas A&M, excuse me, lost to Appalachian State. That was a massive upset. They were nearly twenty point favorites in that game. Uh, Texas A&M's offense is really bad right now. Jimbo Fisher's got to fix it. Uh, Haynes King, the quarterback, is not doing it right now. And then number, number eight, Notre Dame lost to Marshall at home, too. And now Notre Dame, all of a sudden, they're done. Like, their playoff dreams, they were the number, uh, I believe, six team in the country entering the year, um, or actually number five, I think. And now they're done. You know, they, they have no chance of making the playoff now. Now at 0-2, I, I would be shocked if they make the playoff now. Um, even with a 10 and two record, I don't think they'd be able to make the playoff. Now I'm thinking like they might miss a bowl game. Their start, their starting quarterback, Tyler Buckner is out for the season now with a shoulder injury. Um, Notre Dame is, is falling apart in the first year under Marcus Freeman. And this is the first time since 2011 that Notre Dame is 0 and two to start a season. So it's been not a great start for Notre Dame, even though a lot of people had high expectations for them. Uh, another big upset, um, was Nebraska unranked. They're not very good, but they lost to Georgia Southern, and they are like 20-point favorites in Georgia Southern. That game was Scott Frost's final game as Nebraska's head coach. They've seen enough. He's done. They fired him the very next day because he just hasn't been doing it for, for Nebraska. And it's funny because, like, if they fired him on October 1st, they would save, like, $10 million because of his buyout clause, and they said, screw it. We want this guy gone now. So they fired him uh, the day after. Uh, so yeah, that was another big upset, and then uh, and then another upset happened was well, Wisconsin was a top ten, twenty team in the country. They lost to unranked Washington State too. So four ranked teams um, lost to unranked teams over the weekend. Houston also lost to Texas Tech in double overtime too. So that was that was another big upset. So it was a massive week for upsets, especially via the Sun Belt Conference. And so one of our uh, I guess you could call him betting experts. He does the pick segment every single week with me for. The NFL, he goes to Washington State, and he was pretty high on them before. He they, he didn't you know proclaim anything, but he did say that they were a sleeper. How are we feeling about them as the season progresses? They're they're pretty good. I, I like Washington State this year. Um, you know that that was a very great win against Wisconsin. I, I liked Wisconsin going into the year, so that was a little surprising to me that Washington State was able to able to pull that game out. But yeah, I think Washington State has a pretty decent team this year, and you know I, I think they'll be maybe be able to make a bowl game you know they actually yeah probably will like a seven and five team or so like this is still like an average or so fbs team but i think a seven and five record is is probably the expectation for washington state right now which you know is better than what i thought they would be coming into the year all right so biggest shakeups in the rankings right there it's been a lot um Notre Dame is, you know, went from number five to start the year to number eight after losing a close game to Ohio State. Like, I was not sounding the alarms after they lost to Ohio State. And I was like, okay, they're still a good team. Then they lost to Marshall, and now they're out of the top 25. And they're just free-falling right now. 
Uh, so Texas A&M went from number six to number 24. There's been, you know, Georgia is now the new number one team in the country because Alabama only beat Texas by one. Uh, I thought Alabama, honestly, you could make an argument they should be number three behind Ohio State, too. Um, so there's been a lot. And Kentucky moved into the top 10 um, after their big win over Florida. That was one of the big games, too. So Kentucky's now the number nine team. USC moved up a, couple, a few spots to number seven from number 10. Um, so that was pretty big. Tennessee's up into the top 15 now, too. Um, so, yeah, there have been some pretty big movements in the top 25 because, like I mentioned, I mean, this is a huge week for upsets in college football, and, and the, the rankings reflected that. Okay, so updates to your projected college football playoff Final Four. I don't know if there's any change. And if there is, awesome. If not, give me at least one sleeper just to spice things up. Okay, I don't believe I will change my prediction. I think USC is my is still one of my teams, and I got Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State. I think those are the those are the clear top three teams in college football, um, and I'm not taking them away. And I think USC is going to end up, you know, being there too. A sleeper, uh, that's tough. I think I think Wake Forest is being slept on a little bit. I, I think they got a pretty you know really good team with Sam Hartman back at quarterback now. They're very good. I still like Oklahoma State. I think Kentucky is being really slept on right now. Now they're in the top 10, so they're getting some of the love that they deserved earlier. But I really like Kentucky going into the year, and now they're finally getting some of that love. So I would not sleep on Kentucky at all. I think they are you know, going to give Georgia a decent game, which is saying a lot for any team in the country, honestly. So I like Kentucky. I think Mississippi State's a sleeper. I don't like them make the playoff, but like I think they're arguably a top 15 team in the country. They're not even ranked in the AP poll right now, which I think is horrible that they're not ranked in the AP poll. So that's another team right there. But yeah, I, I would say the biggest sleeper college football playoff team would probably be like Wake Forest. I would I would say is like a team that nobody's kind of looking at right now, but they could give Clemson some trouble in the ACC. Wake Forest in the college football playoff would be something awesome that would be crazy <laughs> it would be nuts okay last question for you today biggest games of the week to come up now we've already established i can barely watch college football as it is but <laughs> if i find myself in the situation where i want to watch a game um maybe on my phone while my kids are playing and my wife is you know yelling at me basically what is the game right. that i need to do that for it's unfortunately this week, it, there doesn't seem to be too many like huge games like there were last week, but those are always the kind of weeks where like upsets galore in college football. Now, last week was crazy in terms of upsets, but you know, number 13, Miami's playing number 24, Texas A&M. If A&M loses that game and they might be in full free fall mode, um, that's a big game. I think Penn State against Auburn is a pretty good game that nobody's really talked about that much either. Number 12, BYU at number 25, Oregon. Um, that's another pretty decent game. And two unranked teams that I like, too, are Mississippi State, like I mentioned before, like arguably the top 15 team in the country. They could prove themselves against LSU, who I think is better than people think uh, as well. They're probably like a top 50 or so team in the country. So if Mississippi State wins that game. They should definitely, definitely be in the AP top 25. Beautiful. All right. The fact that you didn't sell me hard on any of them makes me feel a little bit better about not taking Yeah, you don't time. need to. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, there, this will be upset. Hopefully upsets happen this week, but like there aren't any like massive games. You're like, oh man, I can't wait for that one. All right. Well, Max, I appreciate you so much coming on to recap college football. I can't wait till we have a podcast on the network that is full college football. that can do it so much more justice than I can or that and or 
adding another couple of shows in the week so that we can really invest some time into that. But that being said, let everybody know where they can find your work. Uh, yeah, so you can find it at profootballfocus.com. Uh, I'm doing, or at pff.com, excuse me. Uh, I'm writing about three or so articles a week, kind of breaking down the previous week in college football and then previewing the next week, like the biggest games, and also giving out my best uh, bets for the for the week too. Um, so find that all on pff.com. You can get like a free year-long subscription or free, like, yeah, week-long subscription um, trial. So make sure you go there too. So yeah, and check me out on Twitter at Chad underscore Maxwick is my Twitter handle as well. Beautiful. We will see you again next Wednesday and maybe, just maybe, Reagan Harris as well. Max, thanks again. All right. Again, in one of the segments that I appreciate so, so, so much because I feel like it gives me a tremendous amount of insight that I absolutely would not have otherwise. I have Kyle Trimble, doctor of physical therapy, to help me talk about all of the injuries. Okay, let's be honest. Not all. There are so many injuries, but we're going to talk about some of the biggest ones today. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing very good, Max. Thanks for having me on again. Always, always my pleasure. So I'm going to throw it to you. This is your segment. Let's run through and you just tell me about the guys that you think are the biggest injuries and what information you have on them at this point. So we're going to start off with AFC North uh, and starting off with the Pittsburgh Steelers with TJ Watt dealing with a left pectoral uh, injury. Right now, he is undergoing second and third um, opinions on what he should do. But what happened was he bent around the edge, tried tackling Joe Burrow. Burrow ducked him, and when Watt tried coming up over top and hold on to him, his whole body weight pulled him down while he was trying to hold on to Burrow. So that eccentric contraction of the pectoral muscle of Watt's 250, 60-pound body pulling him down while his arm is trying to pull Burrow down, uh, tore part of the muscle or tendon in there. And, and what we don't know right now is if the tendon's torn or if it's just the muscle. And from what I'm seeing right now, they're trying to avoid surgery at all costs. If it's That might suggest it's more of a muscle tear, meaning a shorter recovery time. But if they say, hey, part of the tendon is torn or if it's more severe than what it's initially looking like, then surgery might be the option. Um, we'll get more information on that. But um, this would be an incredibly difficult injury playthrough. Um, if he comes back too soon because he's able to shut the blocks, he's able to wrap up guys uh, in the backfield. He just really loses a lot of power. And we did see that his brother, J.J. Watt, uh, tore his pectoral muscle midway through the 2019 season, had surgery, was able to come back for the uh, Houston-Texas playoff game against the Buffalo Bills. And he made a difference when he returned. So there is some familiarity with T.J. Watt leading on J.J. if he needs to for the management of this injury. But he's going to be out for at least six weeks if he does have um, – if he avoids surgery. But still, it's going to take some time to get really back up to speed there. Um, that's probably one of the biggest injuries coming out of uh, this weekend. Yeah. Uh, some other injuries in AFC North are Jawan James, the, I believe his left tackle for the Ravens, suffered a left Achilles tear. Um, also an eccentric attraction. What happened was he was getting pushed back. He's trying to push forward, steps back suddenly, so he's trying to push down through his foot into plantar flexion. He gets jammed up into dorsiflexion because he's getting pushed back and the tendon just ruptures. And um, that's a season-ending surgery, unfortunately. And um, it, it's going to take a while to, for him to get back. Uh, fortunately, he has a full year to get back in the swing of things, but still it's not an e easy injury to come back from. Mm -hmm. And I believe they said they're down to the third 
tackle uh, because for I think now, Ronnie yeah. Staley still out. Yeah. So that's not a good thing for the Ravens. Um, they're just already beat up. And then even going off the Ravens too, they lost Kyle Fuller to an ACL uh, tear, which they've just had bad luck the past two seasons. It's it's really they unfortunate have, with man. what. Uh, they yeah. Really have. So I mean that's that's the big stuff out of the AFC North. Yeah, I mean look, T.J. Watt is a he's a massive loss. He the way that he was playing, he very much could have contended for another Defensive Player of the Year award. You know, it's only Week One, but. For the sake of the Steelers and for him, hopefully he can manage without surgery, although that's a lot of pain management, I think, for more than half of the season, if that's the case. So. Well, it's not even so much pain management. It's just the fact that he won't have the full function of the arm. Like he could do mm-hmm. put a shirt on, bathe, do the basic stuff like that. But to try to get any meaningful force and power out of that, that pectoral muscle to raise your arm up overhead, uh, come across your body. Um, wrap up tacklers, he just won't have the strength to do it. Just it's weak, and then if he continues to try to stress it, he can cause further damage over time. So he just needs to allow his body to heal up and get to where he needs to be at, so he can actually do those things effectively. Gotcha. All right. So who else do you have to go over today? Uh, we got Keenan Allen with a left hamstring. Um, hamstring strains in itself aren't too concerning. I mean, they they do cause guys to miss time. But being on a short week, it's really tough for him to come back and uh, try to play in the Thursday night game against the Chiefs. And I know he says it's a small possibility, but there's always that level of optimism thinking it's never as bad as it really is. But Ian, or Keenan Allen's a, a, you know, a lot older. Um, he's not moving around like he used to be, though he's still very productive in the Chargers offense. Um, I would say sit this one out, get the few extra days on the back end to rest up and come back for week three. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, not that you ever really want to think about it this way, but they start 1-0. You're probably just risking the season if you do something dumb, you know. So, I get mm-hmm. you. So, and then uh, after that, we're going to move to the NFC South with Chris Godwin. I know Twitter is a toxic place time, but we can find some good information from time to time on there. But there's a lot of uproar about the management of Chris Godwin coming back from his uh, ACL recovery. I mean, Keep in mind, he tore on January 3rd, I believe it was, and he was able to then come back and play just over eight months out from surgery, which is really, I don't want to say it's totally rare because we do see guys come back sooner in the college ranks, and we have seen guys come back uh, relatively quickly, though. The average is 9 to 12 months, so they were quite aggressive with this. Uh, the benefit is that a wide receiver can dictate where they want to go, um, and they can limit the snaps that they're playing with, so he's been practicing without a brace. He's been able to get back out there. If the bucks were confident that he could pass all the objective measures to play, then I support the decision. They know far more about the, what's going on with Chris Godwin than we will ever know as the Twitter universe and everybody else that, 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 and, and that enjoys f- football in general. Mm-hmm. So he did suffer a hamstring strain coming down for a low catch. Um, Hamstring strains, quad strains, groin strains, they're all common after um, ACL reconstruction just because sometimes there's that muscle imbalance between the quads and the hamstrings with one being stronger than the other and you want to make sure you have that nice balance there. Um, and then also, too, just getting reacclimated to you know the football activities. It's really difficult to get people into that live football action you know, without actually playing the game there. So you can prepare as much as you want to, but sometimes these injuries still do happen. But I don't believe his rushing back or coming back quicker than normal led to the hamstring strain. I think it was more just a, 
it happened and he's going to give himself a few extra weeks to kind of get fully right with the knee and then allow the hamstring to heal up so it doesn't become a chronic thing later on. Yeah, I, and you know, you you've been on top of him, and another one you were on top of, I might mention, is uh, Shaq Leonard. I heard a lot of people acting very surprised that he wasn't playing in Week One, and you had essentially predicted that. So you 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 clearly know your stuff, man. So who else do you have for us today? <laughs> Uh, we got Dak Prescott out of the NFC East. He, he broke his thumb. Um, Jerry Jones, I mean, um, the guy's done a lot in the NFL. He probably gives us a little too much information times, which is beneficial <laughs> for somebody in my position because they told us what's going on. Uh, what what Dak had happened was he suffered a Bennett's fracture, which is just the location of the, the uh, fracture in the thumb and just at the base of uh, one of the thumb bones, not the top one, but more or less the middle one there. And um, he's going to go undergo surgery, which is going to allow it to heal up more effectively. And interestingly, they're not going to put him on injury reserve. You would think that they'd want to do that to create a roster spot and sign another quarterback and whatnot. But uh, Jerry had come out and said that they think that he's going to uh, miss only four games. The benefit of putting not putting Dak on IR is that he's allowed to practice. But mm-hmm. you don't want to rush back too quickly because that bone's trying to heal up. He's losing a lot of grip strength in that thumb. I mean, that's the thumb is what sets us apart from every other mammal and every other thing in the universe here. We have that opposable thumb um, and allows us to do a lot more along with our bigger brains, et cetera. But if you try to rush back too soon, then you're going to have soreness in there. You're going to have decreased grip strength. You're not going to be able to get zip on that ball. You're not going to have it rotate. You're going to be throwing um, little fluttering balls all over the place. It's going to be, you know, it's like a buffet for the cornerbacks and, and linebackers. So, I, I, I'm okay with them not putting on IR for the sake of they think he can come back quicker, but rushing back for already depleted Cowboys offensive line, like I won't say the season's lost by any means, but don't rush him back just because you think he has to be the answer. Get somebody in there and at least keep things moving along until he's fully ready because that's your franchise quarterback right there. Yeah, I think this is going to be something to monitor because they know that he is their season. And so the fact that they didn't put him on IR shows me that they there's a level of desperation there. And they may not overstep. Maybe it's just hope. But we we have to keep an eye on that because this could easily be mishandled. I, I like the you the 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 term desperation. I think that best encapsulates what's going on in Dallas. And they've been like that for years. It's just always that yeah, that next big free agent, that next big guy, the next big coach. Like it's always that just let's put bandit on it and try to move forward with it instead of just really trying to you know, they locked in Dak Prescott. That's, that's, that's frankly, that's what happened. So it's like, well, they're trying to take advantage of what they have, but it's always that desperation, trying to get that next one, get the next one instead of trying to really do it right there. And I guess that's what happens when you run things down in uh, uh, Dallas or like that. Yeah, that's a conversation for another day. But... <laughs> All right. Well, well as a Bills yeah. fan, I'm still a little salty there, you know. Yeah, so. hey, I get that. I get that, by the way. Congratulations <laughs> on uh, your big win and oh, looking forward to satisfying. another primetime game. <laughs> absolutely absolutely so we're, we're gonna wrap up with the uh nfc west here we got two injuries uh first is 49ers elijah mitchell with a right knee mcl sprain normally those aren't a big deal but he has a pretty significant uh mcl sprain and it's gonna take their saying eight weeks so it's gonna put him on ir for the time being the fact that he only sprained his mcl and not towards acl or had any other associated damage from what reports are saying is actually impressive there the benefit is uh, the MCL is that it does heal up well. It's multi-layered. It's gonna 
needs to scar down and he's going to kind of work to get back up to where he can cut and jump and do everything he needs to do from running back standpoint and be able to juke around. But the fact that he only had the MCL sprain and not other damages is remarkable. So um, I want to see him coming back until, you know, November, you know, after eight weeks and even then um, they do have a ramp up window to come back in. So, you know, maybe mid November, even if they're doing really great without him, make sure he comes back hundred percent. But once he comes back, he'll be fine. It's just a matter of just letting things scar down and allowing him to get back up to speed there. So that's an injury you can kind of rush forward with a little bit, but you don't want to rush too quickly because then there's more laxity in the knee. It could cause further damage down the line. And that's just never a good thing when you see injuries compounding on top of other injuries. And then the final one is Jamal Adams' uh, safety uh, with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. He suffered what was described as a serious knee injury. Um, there's uh, issues there, potentially the ACL. Um, I've seen more stuff that suggests a quad tendon tear, uh, which is basically where the quadricep connects to the, the patella, your kneecap. And when he was trying to tackle Russell Wilson, he was coming back around and he was trying to plant his leg in the ground, extend the quad. And he kind of got bent forward, causing once again, an eccentric attraction through the quad. So his knee got, uh, force into flexion while he's trying to extend and bring him down. And that's what can cause the that tendon tear. Um, so whether it's a full tear or partial tear, um, he was able to walk off though. You can see him really struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, his season's probably done. It's really unfortunate because the Seattle gave up a lot to get him. And he, I think he's had okay, like production from when he's been available, but he's been injured so often with a shoulder injury last year with the torn labrum. And then, um, you know, a few other little things that are escaping me right now, but he really hasn't lived up to what they gave up in the contract that he's had. And it's a shame from a personal standpoint, but it just also shows that it's like, you got to be mindful of what you're given um, to these guys, because sometimes they might not live up to those contracts. Yeah. I think anytime you have a player like him, like Jonathan Abram, guys who play a bit wild with very, very high intensity, it's not the NFL of the 70s and 80s. Everybody moves so fast that it's you're going to you're going to get injured more likely than not if you have that play style at this point, you know, things are just different. All right, Kyle, I have a couple of quick questions. You can answer them all in basically one sentence if you want to. Um, first one, how likely do you think it is that JC Jackson plays after undergoing ankle surgery in the summer? Two, what are your thoughts on James Robinson? coming back from the Achilles so quickly and looking pretty good in the game and three thoughts on the new timetable for Zach Wilson. So the JC Jackson looking at the time frame with that, the coaches have said that there was a chance he could have played in week one, but they held him out. That's the right idea because he could still have some residual pain and swelling in there, but he'll be four weeks out. If my math looks, stands correct there uh, from the original procedure and from what I've seen, it's more just an ankle clean out, probably some loose bodies in there, shaving down some stuff. So as long as he's going to move around fine on it, they've reported that he's been sprinting back and forth between the locker room and, and field. He should be able to play in week two, which will be a nice added boost to the Chargers uh, defense. And then James Robinson coming back from the Achilles tear like that. Um, I don't recall the stats off the top of my head, but the fact he's able to come back with such a late ACL or some ACL um, Achilles uh, rupture and play as effectively as he did. It's impressive. I, I think when you, when you look at the timetable for that and where he's at, the fact is to come back out there and play. And even after we saw what Cam Akers did last year, coming back at six months, um, 
there's just a lot of power loss in the Achilles tendon when it tears like that. And it takes a while to kind of build that back up. So the fact he's back out there in that quick of a time frame is impressive. And it just shows the advancements in the rehab that they're trying to get guys to maximize their, their strength uh, sooner. And then the third one was Zach Wilson. Um, I think they're right to do that. I really think they're right to keep him out as long as it takes there. Uh, we saw how bad the Jets played against the Ravens on Sunday. We know that Zach Wilson really wouldn't have made a difference. I say it with a hint of bias, but still, mm-hmm. I don't think that his presence would have suddenly jump-started them to a win, and they want to make sure that he's fully healthy. I mean, you've invested so much in to try and get this quarterback situation right. He showed flashes here and there, but if, you're, if there's any doubt about it, keep him out as long as you need to until he's ready to go because they've screwed up so many quarterbacks in, in New York lately. Why rush another one through because you had to win a week one when, you know, the the winning really matters in the playoffs. Get to the playoffs and then make sure those guys are healthy then. Yeah. Well, we both talked about it and agreed beforehand that keeping him out for a while as long as necessary was the wise way to go. And it was probably just a little bit of awkward gamesmanship on the and the part of the coaching staff to not make that clearer up front. But of course, New York has to blow it out of proportion and, and, and make it, uh, you know, national talking points week after week. All right, Kyle, I appreciate you coming on so, so very much. Thank you for all of your tremendous insight. And why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work? All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit at Banked Up Bills. Uh, you can find uh, my AFC East injury video analysis over at cover1.football. You can find um, additional deep dives into injuries at Buffalo Rumblings. Um, I think that's everywhere. I, I keep expanding my network and, and you know, just keep trying to find wherever I can to provide injury analysis. So look for me there and if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll be seeing you more and more places because you do a great job. All right, Kyle, we will see you next Wednesday. Hey, uh, why don't you come over and we can, you know, decide whether to start or sit Adam Thielen. All right, and once again, to talk a little bit of fantasy football, I have with me one Matthew Brown. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I am recovering from a rough week one in fantasy football from a personal <laughs> standpoint. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I think neither of us are doing great. You maybe struggled in fantasy. I know your team struggled a little bit. My team struggled a little bit. And my picks went pretty much atrociously. Brutal week one for my uh, for my, my pick em. I got 17 weeks to come back, but it wasn't a good start, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the thing about it. And and this is in general, this is not just in fantasy football, but you know, I'm I'm going through this with my team, the Packers right now, is you know, the sky is absolutely falling because of one loss. And it it just everybody just take a deep breath. If you're feeling like fantasy your fantasy football season is over, it's not. Just take a deep <laughs> breath. You can figure this out. You're you are smart. We're gonna motivational speech here on the pod today. You are smart. You are good at fantasy football. You can do this. <laughs> uh, that's nice. I appreciate that. So, all right. How about to help all of those people turn around their fantasy seasons? You give us a few guys that you are interested in playing this week. A few guys where you like the matchup, you like the tendency, you like the trend, whatever you like. 
So this is one for the people who are subscribing to the pod and getting it day one and listening to it day one. This one's for you because this is the Thursday night game, uh, Chargers-Chiefs. Looks like Keenan Allen's going to be out. Um, He suffered an injury week one. It doesn't seem season-ending, but he might be out. So that means I'm liking Mike Williams, the wide receiver, uh, because he will probably see a higher share of the targets. I expect Chiefs-Chargers to be a shootout. And there's going to be lots of passing. And so um, I'm liking Mike Williams on the Thursday night. But again, if you're not subscribing to the podcast, listen to this day one, you might have already missed the boat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mike Williams is a good one because he didn't put out much in the way of production in week one. But they just paid him $20 million. I know they have every intention of featuring him in their offense. So going up against the Chiefs, they will definitely have some Mike Williams plays in the game plan. And if Herbert's running around trying to make plays, his big body down the field threat is definitely going to be high on his list. So I like it. Um, This one is a kind of a double, like if you're looking for a waiver wire pickup is uh, Julio Jones. Chris Godwin's going to be out for a couple weeks. It's clear that Tom Brady very much likes to target Julio Jones. And I, I, I hear everyone, oh my gosh, he's going to get injured, 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 injured. He's not injured right now. (laughs) And so you might as well get whatever you can get out of him. They're going to be thin at receiver. Really, the only thing that gives me pause is that they're playing the Saints. And apparently Tom Brady is like cannot beat the Saints in the regular season. I believe he's 0-4 against them in the regular season. But I still think... Julio Jones looks great. He looked great against the Cowboys. You know, they did a couple deep shots. They did a couple jet sweeps. And with Godwin out, I mean, it's it's him and Mike Evans. I think Russell Gage and Scotty Miller would be your four. And I, I think that Julio Jones could see some uh, could see some targets. It. I think it's a not no. I don't think it's your wide receiver one or two play. But again, if you've got some injuries, you're you got hit. Maybe it's a nice flex play. Yeah. Another really good one, because we know that uh, if it comes down to it, they're going to have to pass the ball to win that game. The Saints defense is good. They are not just going to, or I should say they're going to do their best to not let you just run the ball down their throat. Atlanta had some success with it last week, so we'll see. I think we definitely have a more beat-up offensive line for the Buccaneers than the Falcons did. So they might struggle a little bit more in that regard. So Brady's going to be looking for the veteran receiver who runs good routes, who he knows exactly where he'll be, when he'll be there, and he can rely on his hands. And he'll be looking for that in a big-time divisional matchup. So I, I think Julio Jones is a really nice pickup. Somebody may have already scooped him up because he looked pretty good in week one. So there's no doubt about it. But if he's out there, grab him and and he's definitely a spot start for you. Exactly. And and there's a lot of great receivers that kind of had good week ones that are going to be on the waiver wire. Um Duvernay from uh the Ravens, you know, he caught a couple long passes, couple touchdowns from Lamar Jackson. Ravens have another kind of semi-favorable matchup in the Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins are a good defense, but I don't think they're the most elite defense in the in the NFL. Um, yeah, the, the, really the, the, the waiver wire, it, there's a lot of good players out on the waiver wire, even at running back too, with some of the injuries, you can pick up some of the backups. 
Um, and the good news is it seems like a lot of the injuries on Sunday are not as serious as they once thought. Um, all right, I've got my homer pick of the week. Um, with uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to give my Packers that you should start. Um, Aaron Jones got eight touches uh, last week. That's it. Uh, and being a person that has Aaron Jones in uh, all of my leagues, uh, that was not great. <laughs> but he did good stuff with those eight touches, and after the game, both Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers were like, that's unacceptable. We're going to we're going to make sure that he gets more touches in this week. So I, I'm I'm high on Aaron Jones and I'm also really high on A.J. Dillon for a flex start that even with the increased share load of Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon's still going to get his spots. If you watch the tape on the Minnesota game, it is clear that Aaron Rodgers does not trust his wide receivers at all. Um, and so he is going to probably do a lot of running backs. If you are in a really deep league, so we're talking like 16 team and up, and you are really looking for, my goodness, I need, I need somebody to start. Who can I, who can I get? The rookie Christian Watson. I know that he dropped a sure thing 75-yard touchdown pass, but that means that he is the deep threat. He has the chance to get these big plays. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do more deep shots and it could, it's a really risky play, but it could really work out for you in the right context. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting concept because in that week one game, when he dropped that sure thing and then they just didn't even come back to him until four minutes left in the fourth quarter, my thought was, I understand that you feel a little bit burned by that, but it's not great for the rookie's confidence to just ignore him for the rest of the game. Try and get him involved, you know what I mean? And so I would have liked to have seen that happen in that game, but they may try to do that this week. You know, they, I don't think they're saying, oh, our, sec our high second-round pick dropped one pass. He's not, he's not part of our team anymore. So they may try and come back and work on, on that with him again. Deep, 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 deep cut there. So if you if you really, really need something, you can give it a shot. But, you know, definitely a big gamble, though. Exactly. I'll give you one player that I'm kind of out on, and uh, it's based on uh, the performance of the opposing defense more than the performance of the, of the player, and that's quarterback Trey Lance. Um, I am throwing out the game against Chicago. So I live in Illinois. Yes, it was a torrential downpour. And let me just say, I, I, I do not like the Bears as a Packers fan, but man, as an NFL fan, you have to love them celebrating by doing the slip and slide mm -hmm. in the end zone. The pictures of that, like that just, that's so cool. Um, but uh, he's playing the Seahawks this week. And I thought the Seahawks did an excellent job on Monday night, really not giving up a ton of big plays to Russell Wilson. And, you know, Russell Wilson had a pretty pedestrian day, so to, you know, by his standards. And so and Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson, not Trey Lance. So I'm kind of out on on Trey Lance this week. Again, not so much because of what he showed in that game. It's a torrential downpour. I'm throwing out that game for Trey Lance. I got to see more. But I thought Seattle's defense looked much better. Yeah, I personally speaking, I understand the running upside of Trey Lance, but. 
for me, he's not somebody that I would even consider starting until we see, until we see it. I understand that that might mean that he's on your bench for one week when he puts up a lot of fantasy points. I would like to see that before I, I test it out. There's got to be at least one quarterback who you know you're going to get at least a bare minimum of yardage and one touchdown, even in deep leagues. There's got to be at least one guy that you can just throw in there until you're sure about Trey Lance. Because again, upside is massive, but I just don't want to, I, me personally, I wouldn't want to make that start. Yeah, I really think there's a lot more favorable matchups this week than there are like, ooh, watch out here. Um, I mean, I, I guess the other people I'm out on would be the Dallas Cowboys offense. Just I'm, I mean, again, being a person that has some of them in their league, I'm like, ooh, oh no. But <laughs> they're playing the Bengals. I think the Bengals are are have a good defense, but and Cooper Rush or whoever they get to start is going to be interesting. But I think there's a lot of favorable favorable matchups this week uh, if you're looking at playing people. So there's not really a whole lot of looking at them. And there's not really a whole lot of like, oh, my gosh, just stay away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would stay away from anybody in Dallas except for CeeDee Lamb because you might get 10 points off of receptions for a total of like, you know, 34 yards just because they're trying to do anything to move the ball. So I guess I would play him if you really still need somebody, but pretty much everyone else in Dallas, I would definitely steer clear from, especially with the difficulties they've been having with their offensive line health. And now Dak Prescott on top of that. All right, Matt, anybody else you want to throw out there real quick before we call it a fantasy day? Uh, This is probably pretty obvious, but uh, the Eagles gave up a very large amount of rushing yards to, uh, to DeAndre Swift and the Lions. So Dalvin Cook owners should be rejoicing. And even again in deeper leagues, if you've got Madison, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some reps and some good uh, good yardage. But Dalvin Cook owners should just be rejoicing that they're playing the Eagles this week. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I'm curious because they spent the first round pick on Jordan Davis. They've still got Fletcher Cox. They're pretty deep. They, they've made some investment in linebackers. So I'm not sure if I expect them to be so have such a hard time with the run this week i week one is a is a is a a crazy thing but we shall see all right matt i appreciate you coming on so much and giving us your insight making everybody's fantasy day a little bit brighter which is you know 100 what you do and we will see you next wednesday but before that let everybody know where they can find you you can find me on twitter at sorcerer matt uh, that's probably where I'm most active. Um, and I'm going to shout out, I, I recently, Passion Project of Mine, started live streaming. So if you are into live streaming, uh, watching live streams of, oh gosh, I have all kinds of games, uh, uh, twitch.tv slash Sorcerer Matt, you can find me on there as well. All right, beautiful. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, Max. Gamblers. Wagerers and Riverboat Ramblers. Tonight, we pick. Alrighty, to preview one of the best Thursday night football games on the schedule, and let's be honest, we have some good ones. Amazon threw down and got some solid Thursday night games for the first time in quite a while. But we have the Kansas City Chiefs playing their divisional rival, the Los Angeles Chargers, in a monster Week 2 matchup. To help me break that down, I have two gentlemen from 
Chiefs Wire and Chargers Wire, both part of the USA Today Sports Network. We have Charles Goldman, editing manager for Chiefs Wire. He also runs the newsletter for KC Sports Network and, of course, is a big fan of the breakfast burrito. How are we doing, Charles? I'm doing good, man. I, I like that you remembered that last part there. <laughs> oh, of course, man. Look, I, I told you before, we're brothers in arms in the breakfast burrito battle. I love me some breakfast burrito. And of course, Gavino Borquez, managing editor for Chargers Wire and also writer for the Draft Wire. How are you doing, my friend? Good, man. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's good to have you guys back on. You've both been on before never together so we have a little bit of a rivalry in the game and a little bit of rivalry on the podcast which is nice so i'm going to throw it to you guys a little bit i'm going to let you talk about what your expectations are for these two teams i mean look the the chiefs game bit of a blowout looked like they could do no wrong chargers game was a little bit more of a battle but let's be honest that team looked excellent both fun watches i guess we'll go with the chiefs first you know they do have the division championship for the past few years so we'll give them the honors at this point charles what are your basic expectations for this game particularly when you're talking about the established chief steve uh, offense pardon versus this up-and-coming chargers defense yeah i mean i i think that you know the chiefs are gonna give them their respect i i you know i don't think they're they're going to uh look over this game or anything like that i mean they uh they know how deadly you know, the guys who have been there can be, and they know how deadly some of the new guys can be, specifically Khalil Mack. You know, they're familiar with him from his time with uh, with the Raiders. And, you know, frankly, I, I mean, Patrick Mahomes said it best. He was like, dang, I, I, I wish he would have stayed out of the division. I have to play him again. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, great pass rush, great secondary, really stout uh, interior defensive line linebackers are underrated in my opinion i mean it's just going to be it's gonna be a test uh and a challenge for kansas city kind of at, at you know all levels of their defense and uh i think it'd be really nice you know to see kind of how this offense can attack i mean we know in the past what they've done with you know the the tyreek prevalent offense well what's it going to look like now where they can really attack various different spots on the field with all these different weapons they have. Yeah, well, if Vic Fangio is the godfather of the too high shell, then Brandon Staley is, you know, he he is the uh, uh, Michael Corleone, I guess, right? So we know what he can do. We've seen what he's been able to put together. It took a couple of years in Los Angeles with the Chargers. It was right there hot and heavy with the Rams, but it looks like it's here now with the Chargers. I mean, Derwin James looked amazing. Their pass rushers looked amazing. Even Kenneth Murray looked like he had a really solid game, which we've been kind of waiting for over the past couple of years. Gavino, how do you expect them to respond to this explosive Chiefs offense? Fireworks, man. I mean, all, all around. Like, if we're talking strictly, how do I expect them to go about the, the Chiefs' offense? I mean, they looked still explosive against the Cardinals. Mind you, they were playing against the Cardinals, but. Again, while this uh, Chargers defense, they have new pieces, um, you know, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, who um, I do expect to play. You have Patrick Mahomes when he has the ball. I mean, you have to be ready for whatever. And I think despite the, the newest additions uh, of this team, they're always going 
toe to toe with one another. And that's exactly how I expect this, this to, to play out. I mean, when Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes have met, uh, I think two of the three matchups have went to overtime and I wouldn't be surprised at this one, how this one plays out too. So real quick, before we switch sides, what do you think might be a potential weakness for the Chargers defense? What do you think the Chiefs might be able to exploit based on what you've seen just in this week one? I think they can definitely exploit um, the interior. And the only reason why, why I say that is even though it's like revamped, uh, we saw in the first half against the Raiders, they held to 2.2 yards per carry, but they kind of let their, their foot off the gas, and that's when they were starting to get to big, bigger runs. I think, you know, regarding the the secondary play, I mean, and the pass rush, they should be able to, to hold their own there too. But, I mean, if they lose contain, Mahomes will take off with his feet. I think they'll be good on the coverage. But I feel like with that interior defensive line, it's still relatively new. So, again, if they start running the ball well, um, that could be a factor for sure too. But regarding the secondary, I feel like they'll they'll do a good job of that. They they held their own, you know, for the most part against Devontae Adams, even though while he went, you know, for 150 or so yards, Devontae Adams and Asante Samuel Jr. had a good game for the most part. Michael Davis covering him. The Chiefs don't have a weapon like Devontae Adams. Really, no one does. So, you know, I still have some questions regarding that interior front, especially in the second half where their uh, Raiders are starting to um, go off for bigger runs. So. Yeah, they did do a pretty good job with Devontae Adams. I said in our initial recap for the Sunday games that the char- the uh, the Raiders didn't feature him in quite the same way that the Packers did, and I was wrong about that, but I was watching so many games. What I didn't realize was they targeted him 17 times, but he only caught 10 of them. With the Packers, he was probably catching 16 or more passes like per week. So it just felt different, even though they were trying to get in the ball. So it's like you said, yeah, he got his yards. Sure. 150, but you know, 10 of 17, that's a pretty good job on maybe the best receiver in the league. And I guess the other thing is, like you said, the chiefs offensive line is a completely different animal than the Raiders offensive line. So their ability to run the ball is probably a little bit more uh, of a strength than the Raiders at this point. So we liked what we saw from the Chargers in week one, but it's a little bit different. It'll be a different kind of test. So let's flip the script a little bit. Gavino, what would you say is the strength of the Chargers offense going up against this Chiefs defense? Because they look like they could do almost anything they want, maybe not run the ball a ton, but they look like they could get it done in the passing game. Where do you think they can really take advantage of this Chiefs defense? I think it's the man under center right there, uh, Justin Herbert. You know, while he was able to uh, have a have a really good game, you know, the offensive line didn't do as good of a job. I think he was pressured on forty two point nine percent of his dropbacks, and that was like the fifth highest, I believe. So I think that goes to show you it speaks of his awareness, his his pocket movement, and just the ability to kind of escape when being under duress. So. It's definitely Justin Herbert. You have Keenan Allen, who's not going to play. Mike Williams, who you would have thought would have been the one who stepped up when Keenan Allen went out, he was pretty much a non-factor. So was Josh Palmer. You had DeAndre Carter, who was the best wide receiver, too. I mean, he was able to get to nine different pass catchers, so it goes to show you that Herbert's going to spread the wealth. But you can't really point to the receivers. Um, 
the offensive line, again, they allowed like the fifth most uh, high, the highest pressure rate. So you're looking at the guy under center and definitely the, not the running game. Austin Eckler was a non-factor. Even though they signed Sony Michelle, he didn't really do much. Joshua Kelly, a, a non-factor. So it really comes down to the play of, of Justin Herbert. And you know, thankfully they, they have him and he's proven to be an elite quarterback. But with that Raiders game, like there was some questions uh, regarding different position groups. So the only, like, I would say like the, the highlight was Herbert and DeAndre Carter and Gerald Everett uh, from the Raiders game. Yeah, I mean, his arm is, is unbelievable. Uh, and all of these guys, Mahomes, Allen, have incredible arms. But the craziest thing about what Herbert looks like to me is the velocity. So he will throw it on a rope. The ball will drop. But the receiver will still be able to go down and catch it falling backwards. It's like I've never seen a ball maintain such a low trajectory for so long. Mahomes has all of the arm angles. He has all of these ridiculous passes that arc through the air and all these touches that just look so nice. But I don't think anybody throws it with as much raw power on a line drive as Justin Herbert. So how do you expect the Chiefs defense to hold up to that. I mean, they've added some new pieces. We did just see that their first round pick at corner went on injured reserve. So that's definitely a loss. But Charles, what do you think is is what do you think this Chiefs defense is going to be able to do against a guy like that? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, they have the benefit of having gone up against Kyler Murray last week. Because I think that that game is actually going to help them quite a bit uh, in terms of their ability to corral and contain a player like Justin Herbert, like their whole goal was to not allow him to escape the pocket. Don't allow him to get out the pocket, make those explosive plays. And they did a really good job of that uh, in week one. So I feel like the defensive line, if they can kind of mimic that same game plan um, and, and do what they did with, uh, with now, I think, I think that Herbert's a little bit of step above uh, uh, the Cardinals quarterback there. But I mean, it, I think if they can mimic that game plan a little bit, they won't um, they won't see him uh, kind of go super saiyan like he has in the past against them. Um, I I do I, I think they're going to be okay without Trent McDuffie, um, even though he was stellar in his debut. He had 21 coverage snaps, didn't have a single pass thrown his way because he was just locked down. Um, the the rookie who came in after he went out with injury, Jalen Watson. He played, I think, 25 coverage snaps, and he only had two targets go his way. First one, pass breakup on on third down was tremendous. Second one, it was a touchdown allowed, um, six-yard touchdown. It was on like a mesh play in the red zone. It it was kind of one of those things where you're like, ah, you know, it's tough to cover, but, you know, what what can you do? Um, I I think they'll be okay there with, with that injury. The one thing I think I'm most concerned about heading into this game is actually on special teams. I don't think Harrison Butker is going to play uh, for the Chiefs. So they're going to have uh, this fella, um, Matt Amendola, that they signed from the Jets probably um, doing kicks. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's really quick turnaround. He's going to have like two days, you know, three days to to get some chemistry going with, uh, with the holder and the long snapper and everybody there. And, um, you know, the Chiefs had to do that last season when when Butker caught COVID and they brought in Elliot Fry on like a very short notice and had him come in and he did a good job. Surprisingly, this guy beat out Elliot Fry, who they brought back in for a tryout. But I, I do think that's going to be um, 
something to watch, something to keep an eye on, especially, you know, if this is a tight game that goes to overtime, one of those types of things, like it could come down to a kick, a missed extra point, missed field goal. So that could be, that could be big for Kansas city. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, the, the chargers offense, uh, they've got some great pieces, some great weapons. Um, I, I think that's going to be, you know, kind of a, a struggle, a little back and forth battle for, for both sides throughout the game. Um, but I think it does come down to containing um, Justin Herbert, ensuring he doesn't, you know, escape the pocket, find those those great lines downfield to to make those big throws that uh, he's known for doing. Yeah, you know, I think with Trent McDuffie, he was playing inside quite a bit, right? Uh, this, he he wasn't. Game? He was actually he was playing outside. But Full time outside. Yeah, he's playing mostly outside. I mean, he has the flexibility to do it, but they've been keeping him on the outside for the most part. It was Snead who was going and in playing nickel. But, you know, it, I, I think that this was probably the worst matchup in terms of like receivers for McDuffie. Like, I think they're going to miss him a lot more in the last couple weeks, but he had some struggles against size, you know, in the preseason and training camp. And, you know, the, the chargers have a lot of size at the receiver position. So I think, you know, for the six foot three, you know, uh, Jalen Watson, I think he's going to do a lot better um, against some of those size receivers. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, so what else is there more to say? We have a battle of two Titanic quarterbacks, and both have looked very, very good in their solo week one matchups. And the spread is at minus three and a half in favor of the Chiefs. How do we feel about that? What's the expectation, Gavino? Do you think the Chargers are going to be able to cover that and or potentially win? Or do you think the Chiefs are still just a little bit too much, too, too veteran? I haven't done my official prediction. Um, I'll be doing that tomorrow, but <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm going to give it to the Chiefs. Like I feel like with one them missing Keenan Allen, uh, just seeing how much um, Justin Herbert was pressured. Again, I'm a little bit nervous because Trey Pipkins. You know, I think he, Max Crosby had like six pressures. Sean Slater, on the other hand, he basically locked down Chandler Jones, but. That I'm a little bit worried. I'm worried about the pass rush of the Chiefs, and I feel like they're just going to do a really good job of, of scheming because not having Allen, that's that's a big deal right there. Um, Mike Williams not being much of a factor. I know that they bracket uh, covered him. I expect them to do the same thing, make Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter when they're one on ones. Like I just, and then if we're playing in or the Chargers are playing in Arrowhead too. I feel like. That's a factor too. It's like the loudest mm-hmm. stadium. And while they did win last year at Arrowhead, like I just think that um, that's going to play a big part, especially with it being a night game too. And I just think it's going to be close, but I'm still taking the Chiefs in this one. Um, and again, defensively, while they did show a lot of promise with that that pass rush, um, you know, having J.C. Jackson could be could be big. But the Chiefs look really, really good offensively. Um, against the Cardinals. So I just think not having Allen there, um, some questions regarding the right side of the line. And then you have um, rookie Zion Johnson, who is fine, but I know he's going to draw a lot of Chris Jones. So that Mm -hmm. could be a mismatch in its own right there. And how much pressure can Justin Herbert take? I don't know, because there's only so much that you can do to escape. And like Charles mentioned, um, they were able to kind of prepare with that, uh, you know, facing Kyler Murray in week one. He's not the athlete that Kyler Murray is. So if he needs to evade pressure, 
um, you know, they're basically ready for that. So that's why I just feel like the Chiefs have um, some advantages on both sides of the ball. I can see the Chiefs ultimately winning this game. Yeah, he's definitely not quite as explosive as Kyler Murray is, but good athlete and big, strong type of player. He can shake off a hit there, here and there, and, you know, he won't burn you probably for a 76-yard touchdown run, but but he can hurt you. He can gash you. All right, Charles, what do you think? Do you think the Chiefs are covering this game as well? Yeah, I mean, I picked uh, Chiefs 30-27, but that was kind of before the Trent McDuffie move. It was kind of before the, the you know, uh, indication that Butker wasn't going to maybe wasn't there's a chance but I, I think it's going to be pre- pretty tough for him to get out there uh, I, I think you know picking him by a field goal now is a little bit a little bit trickier but um yeah I just I, I think it's going to be one of those you know back and forth matches between these two we've seen them in the past um you know if one team jumps out to a lead and it, it isn't safe that's uh that's for certain and um yeah, you know, I, I just think it's going to be a great game. What a what a great way to kick off Thursday night football on Amazon. Uh, it's going to be a blast. I know Arrowhead's going to be electric. They're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Arrowhead Stadium this season, and they're going with throwback colors. They're they're painting the the end zones red. They've got a throwback logo in the middle. You know, they're going to be hyped up with you know uh, paying homage to Len Dawson. I mean, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great great atmosphere. For sure. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. And one thing I will add too is just I don't like the matchup of you know DeAndre Carter and Josh Palmer versus Legarius Sneed as well too. So again, man, like not I, having it. you got to give Mike Williams some more credit, my guy. He uh, people are calling him like the chief killer or something. He's he's always <laughs> he's got like six touchdowns against us or seven touchdowns in the last six games. I don't know, it's crazy. He's 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 done a nice job against Kansas City before. I think he got that name when back in 2019 when Philip Rivers was still there, and that's basically <laughs> kind of like what snapped the uh, the losing streak. Um, so yes, while he's a, a Chiefs killer, like his play against the, the Raiders wasn't too promising, and I just know that uh, defense coordinator is going to do a good job of scheming him to make the other receivers win their one on one. So so I'm a little bit nervous uh, for that, and then also no running game too. <laughs> the Chargers could not get anything on the ground, so they're going to basically be one dimensional. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's why yeah. I have the Chiefs one. It's one of the close one. I will add, too, I, I think the Chiefs are going to utilize the quick passing game, a lot of screen passes, uh, a lot of motion. They they had, like, they're the leading team in the NFL with pre-snap motion. I think they're going to do a lot of that to try and kind of limit the pass rush a little bit because, um, you know, tackle is probably their weakest position um, in terms of offensive line and, you know, uh, Orlando Brown Jr. didn't do too great uh, against the Cardinals. And, you know, Andrew Wiley, I mean, he's held his own against like guys like Max Crosby before, but I, I don't know how I feel about him going against Bosa and Mac, you know, uh, one on an island snap to snap. So I'm pretty sure, especially down in the open field, too. I think Asante Samuel had like three missed tackles. Uh, Bryce Hall- Callahan had a pair too. So if they're going to get like that quick passing game where they're going to be forced to make stops in the open field, that's what also kind of makes me nervous as well, especially when I saw like a, a few missed tackles and that's kind of what led to some of these bigger plays for uh, Devontae Adams. Tackling is never good in the NFL in like the first couple weeks of the season. Everyone's just like, <laughs> it's like they forgot how to tackle because they can't do it during training camp. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, how often can you really say, unless you want to include the season opener as Sunday Night Football, that Sunday Night Football is the worst game 
in a four game primetime <laughs> stretch, right? Pretty I mean, weird. Monday Night Football was definitely better. This game is almost assuredly going to be better. And then, of course, season opener was very good, too. Well, again, I feel like with Sunday Night Football, they're always throwing some kind of NFC East team in there. So I think that <laughs> makes it just for the market. Uh, it's fair. It makes sense. Cowboys are in there. It's like, dang. All right. So, final prediction for me. I'm going to take the Chiefs to win, but I do think the Chargers will cover the spread. I think it's going to be very, very close, and it's going to come down to the final minute, whether that be at the end of regulation or overtime. The score will be uh, less than three and a half by separation. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you so much. I am sure that both of these teams are going to have some more uh, primetime games. I haven't looked that far ahead, but I, I have no doubt. Charles, let everybody know where they can find you again. Yeah, at GoldMCTNFL on Twitter, at the Chiefs Wire on Twitter as well. You can check us out, ChiefsWire.usatoday.com and uh, KC Sports Network, KCSN Daily Newsletter. You can subscribe. Right on. And Gavino, how about you? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Gavino Borquez, um, on Twitter at the Chargers Wire and ChargersWire.usatoday.com. All right, guys. It's going to be a good one. Looking forward to it. And we'll see you both very soon. Thank you so much for listening to our big midweek episode for week two. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. This Friday, we will be doing a Thursday night football recap, as well as picking every single Sunday game against the spread for NFL Week 2. Please do rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen, and we will see you all very soon.